Welcome to the Seed Time Money Podcast. We are your hosts, Bob and Linda Lodick. This is a hope-filled podcast that'll help you save, earn, give, grow, and actually enjoy your money. We don't hold anything back. We share everything that we've learned on our journey. Everything from being 100% broke to paying off our house by age 31, to finding work with purpose, to giving more than we ever dreamed possible, all while having a blast on this adventure that God has led us on. And if you want to achieve true financial freedom and design a life of eternal impact, this is the show for you. We are so glad you're here. Let's get to it. We are so excited to let you know that our brand new book, Simple Money, Rich Life, is finally out. Yes. And if you enjoy the podcast, we think you're going to love it. And if you like hearing our friendly voices, then you should grab the audiobook yes. on Audible. And if you don't, then just grab the paperback or grab the <laughs> Kindle. And if you do grab a copy, we want to hear from you. So send us a message on Instagram or send us an email and let us know what you think. Yeah. And again, the name is Simple Money, Rich Life, and you can grab your copy anywhere books are sold. Anywhere. Pretty much any place that sells books, they <laughs> should have it. Hey everybody, I'm excited today because we're chatting with Graham Cochran. Man, we bumped into each other on the internet for many, many years now, and we'll get into some of that in a minute. But he wrote a book called How to Get Paid for What You Know, and he's tapping into something that I'm really excited about, which is essentially what I've done over the course of my last 15 years. He's essentially helping people take the knowledge that they have and turn it into an income online you know, or other formats. And so he's been at this a long, long time. So you might've heard of the recording revolution. That was kind of where he got to start. So he was helping people record music and do it a little bit better and like blew up on YouTube and all this stuff. And so anyway, so now he's also helping people with business and sharing all kinds of stuff along these lines. And so with all that out of the way, Graham, thank you for taking some time to chat today. Yeah, Bob, I've been looking forward to this one, man. I'm excited too, because I think there's a lot of questions here and a lot of things that we can chat about that'll be really helpful for a lot of people listening. Um, you and I have been doing this stuff for a long, long time, and we both know that there's always stuff to learn. Like you never finish, you never reach a finish line. And so, yeah, so I'm excited selfishly to ask some of these questions and to pick your brain. And so hopefully this will be helpful for a lot of other people as well. In the book, you're walking people through a lot of this stuff, but I want to just ask you, because you said this, you make this statement, which is a pretty bold claim, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. You said that anyone can start a business for $50 or less. So let's talk a little bit about that. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, you know this better than anybody, right? If you can get a domain name and like some economy web hosting, you could start a blog, which can functionally either be for written articles or to embed your YouTube videos or be the show notes page for your podcast. I mean, the content is free and then a little bit of web hosting. And if you want to get fancy, a tool like Kajabi or something like that, once you have a product to sell. But I started my first business. I bought a, a $12 a year domain. I had $6 a month GoDaddy web hosting. And I used, what was it called? eJunkie to sell zip folders yep. of my video <laughs> courses. Yeah. That was like eight bucks, 12 bucks a month. I mean, it was less than $50 a month. And I was able to reach the world. Oh, it, I had MailChimp, which was my email platform. That's to follow up with people. And that was free up to like 2000 people on your list. So that was a good, yeah. you, you can get started for so cheap is the point that to create a, a web presence, establish yourself in terms of what you do, who you help, what you help them accomplish, and then package up a digital product that you can film on your iPhone or screen share with a free tool like Loom and Google Slides. And you can get on a free trial of a software like Kajabi or something and, and launch a product 
for $50 a month functionally and make money. It's just, there's few yeah. businesses that you can get in for so cheap and test it out to see if you even like it. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember when I first started all this, because for me, the first dollar I made on online was with Google AdSense. And honestly, the first hundred thousand, couple hundred thousand dollars I made online was with Google AdSense. Like that was all I did for like the first probably five or seven years. And like, you can still do that. You know, I don't know if as many people are reading blogs as they were 10 years ago, but the point is like people are still searching Google. They're still looking for answers. And so just sharing your knowledge on a page and putting some ads on it and it's one piece of code you just put on your page. It's so easy to do. Anyone can start this for just a few bucks. And so it is fascinating because I remember like talking to people would email me or something, say they want to open a restaurant or something and they need to take out this $300,000 loan to open a restaurant that has pretty high chance of failing over the next few years. And maybe it won't, but you know, and I'm just like, man, it's like, and if that's what you want to do, like, all right, go for it. But I'm like, I just really enjoy the business that I can start with a few bucks and no debt and never have to take that level of risk. And that's what's so great is that we live in this era when that's just kind of possible. We were on food stamps, like literally I was unemployed experimenting when I started my business. Like it, mm-hmm. I couldn't take a risk. I had no money and I couldn't go into debt for a business. And I, I wasn't even a business-minded person. So I, I didn't have that kind of risk-taking bone in me, you know? So yeah. this was like, a, well, I can put out some content and see if people connect with it. And I was just trying to get clients actually for my freelance audio recording business. So I was like, well, maybe I share some stuff and people will find me online. And there was that intuitive sense of like, if I don't put myself on the internet, no one's going to know who I am. The beautiful thing is, and I've, I've learned this and you've done this too, is that the, the asset you have really in an online business is the audience that you build. Without an audience, nothing's possible online. But with an audience, anything's possible. You could write a book, like your book's coming out. You could sell a course, you can run ads, you can do brand deals, you can do live events, whatever you want to do, but it's because you have an audience. And so the great news is it's cheap and free to start audience building and seeing if you can add value in, in the marketplace before you even go all in on something. Okay. So coming back to your story just a little bit, just because I'm curious, like what was that transition like for you? So your back's up against the wall financially or wherever you were in that situation. And as you're experimenting with this, were you married at the time? Yeah. Married for three years and we had uh, our first baby was born right before that. Okay. So what are those conversations like with your wife at that point? Take me back to that time and just tell me a little bit what that was like. Yeah. I mean, kind of like your story, like I hated working jobs that I wasn't a good fit in. And so in a way, when I lost my job, we just moved to Florida to help a buddy plant a church. And I was going to be like the volunteer worship leader. And so we did that. I did that for years actually, but I just thought I would get a job and we'd be fine in Florida. But then that was 2009. So we're still in the, the fallout of the great recession. So when I lost that job, I was like, well, I do hate working jobs. (laughs) So, you know, maybe this is my time for me. I had dabbled in freelancing, but that was like side income. It was a side hustle. If that's what, you know, there was no pressure for that to perform, but I was like, well, maybe I just go all in on that. You know, maybe this is my time. And I didn't actually want another job. And so I think that helped me. And I think my wife understood that she's like, yeah, I get it. And she was supportive of me trying to go all in on the freelancing thing. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And so my goal was to just get clients and then when I did a little bit of ad revenue on my blog, I had a couple of sponsors. I thought, oh, okay, well, I can make a little bit of money on the website and a little bit of money freelancing. And maybe the two combined, I mean, what was I trying to make? Like maybe 4,000 a month, I would have been set, you know? And so yeah. that was like the, as big as my vision was, but I, didn't, I wasn't looking for a job. I mean, I, my in-laws would ask me like, hey, at Christmas, have you found a job yet? 
And I joke in the, in the acknowledgements of my book, I still haven't found a job 13 years later, right? So yep. I didn't really want one. So but I didn't know how to build a business. I just, I couldn't go back to a job. So I was willing yep. to, to suck it up. And my wife was supportive of it because she saw that there was people digging my content early on, even though I wasn't monetizing it enough. Yeah. She saw there was something there. And we both yeah. trust in Jesus and we're in prayer about it. We're like, let's give it a shot and see what he does. Yeah, I love it. It's so funny you mentioned that thing about asking you for a job. I remember one of my aunts and uncles kind of coming up to me at a Christmas thing. So I heard you got laid off and you're blogging, you know, so I probably can get you a job at my company. And I remember like just being like, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. So no, I'm not going to take your job. And then like, even after the blog had like kind of been pretty successful and we were doing completely fine financially, people would still be like, oh, you need, I'm, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to get you a job. And I'm okay. It's cool. We're good. <laughs> Those are interesting conversations, especially when we started, you know, in early days. But so for somebody who is maybe in that situation and maybe wanting to really start a business, they haven't really figured out how to do it. I, I remember this thing you were saying, I was reading this thing you were saying, you said this idea, there's four questions that we kind of ask to kind of find and identify this business idea. Can we talk about those? Yeah. So when it comes to starting any kind of business, you have to have the idea, the right idea. And so a big part of what I take people through in the book, because there's six steps to the process. And this is what I coach people through. Like if you're brand new, how to build the type of online business I do, which is selling information products and things like that. But you could monetize it with ads or sponsorships or anything like that on a podcast. It's the similar concept. But step one is finding your idea that's profitable. So like one of the questions you have to ask is like, what do I have experience in? I like that question better than what am I good at or what am I an expert at? Because people get distracted by those questions. Those words mean different things to people. Because I certainly yeah, haven't good. felt like an expert. What does good mean? Like I know people who are really good at whatever it yeah. would be. So for me, it was audio engineering. I did have experience in it and I did go to college for it. So maybe it was a little more experienced, but I don't have any Grammy awards. None of my clients are artists you've ever heard of. They're all independent musicians. So I was like, okay, I mean, I, I know stuff about this. I have experience in it, but is yeah. anybody going to care? And I've learned that people don't care about expertise or letters after the end of your name. So you got to ask yourself first, what do I have experience in and make a list? What have I helped people with in the past? What are the things people like text me or call me for advice on? Are you the guy or the gal in, in your world that knows a lot about managing money? People are like, hey, could you help me like get on a budget or could you help me? Like you're the guy, like people probably call like, hey, how do I start investing? You know, if you were getting those questions before you started the blog, like, that would be like, well, maybe I could help people with this because people ask me about that. My wife's a photographer, you know, and people ask her like, what, what kind of camera should I buy? Like she could create an entire online business around that if she wanted to, because she's that person. So it starts with, yeah. yeah, what do I have experience with? And get selfish. What do I actually like doing of those things too? Like make a whole list and start with, to your point earlier, I think before we hit record is like when the, when the wind's at your back and you're doing what you're called to, it's easier, it's more fun. And so I think there's a lot of grace and space for us to like try to pursue the things that we're naturally gifted at, that God's given us an interest in. And it really does start with being selfish and then from there, it really does move away from you <laughs> to really make business work. You can't be selfish, but you have to start with what do you think you actually would want to help people with? For some people, that's really hard, actually. Like what we're good at, we think is ordinary. Everybody knows that, but they don't. They really yeah, don't. No, I mean, I feel like I, that's what I notice a lot is that most people miss it. Most people can't see it themselves because they just feel like, well, this is just kind of how everybody is. Like, this is pretty easy for everybody. And other people are like, no, you're uniquely gifted at that. And it is hard to spot for a lot of people, but 
there's definitely something there that I, I just think is really, really valuable. So moving on kind of down this path. So that's kind of first phase. What else would you add to that? What are the kind of next questions to ask? Yeah. So from there, you'll have a list of like potential ideas, you know, like there's things I like to do and have experience with, but not all of them are going to be valuable to other people. Right? I always joke, like I love eating pizza. I love watching football. I'm sure there are ways to monetize both of those passions, but I haven't gotten smart enough to do that yet. So you want to find which of those things is marketable. And so there's a couple of ways you can do that. And we talk about a couple in the book. One is sort of like looking broadly at resources. Like for example, we're talking about books. You and I are both publishing a book recently. Amazon is an interesting resource to see like, hey, are anybody publishing books on this subject? If there's mm-hmm. best-selling books on this subject, you know that publishers have believed there's a market for this, that they're willing to spend money on this. And so they've already yep. done some of the research. Like People are interested in this topic enough to publish books on it. So that's a good indicator that you can have you know, the ability and willingness to pay checked off because you don't want to find a random niche that no one's ever done because there's a good chance that no one cares <laughs> to pay yeah. for. I mean, you could be lucky, but I'd rather you go into a niche that's proven. That's why crowded niches are not a bad thing. They're a great thing. So look look on Amazon. Yeah. And when you're looking, like take the top five books that are best-selling books or the most reviewed books as a good indicator. And I always say, look at the two to four-star reviews, ignore the one and five stars for this experiment and look at the two to four star reviews and see like what they liked and what they didn't like about the book. And that'll tell you a lot about, oh, is there a gap here? Like, oh, people are still confused about this area when they read so-and-so's book, even though it's a best-selling book. I look at the chapters of these books to tell you like, these authors have already figured out what they should write about if they want to write a book on it. They've done a lot of the research for you. So you can learn a lot about, huh, people really still want to know about this or they, they like his material or her material, but they don't like his tone of voice or her tone yeah. of like they want someone a little bit more palatable. So you, your personality might make you uniquely skilled at reaching a target in that, uh, that niche that has plenty of gurus to listen to, but they don't like those voices. They don't connect to that personality, but they might yeah. connect with you. And there's just a lot there. So I always tell people to start on Amazon and just see if it's a marketable area. Yeah. That's an exercise that I've done. I actually did it for this book. Just went and looked at some other ones and you know, along those lines, it's slightly different, but I was just looking for one-star reviews and like, what are people complaining about? How can I do the opposite? How can I build the opposite of that? And then just another, along this Amazon line, another like really good idea is just a little bit of a different angle here, but look at book titles. Like we spent seven months titling our book, like going back and forth to get the perfect title. And you can look at the titles that people have in your niche and that might give you, and not to steal, but ideas of, all right, maybe I can combine these ideas and create the name of my course or the name of my website or the name of whatever I'm doing. And there's just a lot of, a lot of head starts you can get just from looking at Amazon. So, so uh, if you get on Facebook, Facebook groups, affinity groups, like if you're like, man, maybe like I have a student who's a motorcycle mechanic for Honda bikes. That's the niche. Yeah. There's a ton of Facebook groups around like guys fixing their Honda bikes. And so he can get in those groups and even just lurk and see like, what are they talking about? What are they asking about? And you learn a lot about what people are trying to figure out. So that, that's the two questions that you need to find out. If you feel like, I think there's a market here. What do people really care about? What, what I'm always trying to boil it down to is what is their biggest challenge or frustration yep. right now in that niche? And then you can ask people directly. You can get on social or email friends like, hey, I'm thinking about creating some content around you know whatever the subject is. I'd love to know if you've ever struggled with this or you're thinking about this, like what's your biggest challenge or frustration right now related to losing weight or getting your finances in order or making your music sound better? And then the flip side of the coin, right? What is your biggest hope or dream in the next 12 months related to this? And you'll get a lot of 
data points and you're looking for trends and you're like, I realize a lot of people want the same thing or fear the same thing. And all this is doing is going from what you're interested in, have experience in. Is there a market for this? Books are being published. There's affinity groups around this. And then what are people saying they're frustrated with or they really desire? Uh, And some of those things never change. And there's always room for more people at the table. And then you're really getting a good picture of, okay, I think if I started to create some content around this, even if you're not ready to sell something, but just blog or write a, do a podcast or a YouTube channel, this could help people. And people are hungry for this. And that's all you're trying to do early in the processes. Is it something you could do, you like, not an expert at, because that language will just throw you off the scent. None of us feel like experts. We all deal with imposter syndrome. I still struggle with imposter syndrome. Yep. But could you help somebody bring them a little further on the journey? And what do they need help with? And then from there, you can really start to build out an online presence with clarity. Yeah. And tying to this expert thing, I think there's an important point here. I mean, I'm curious how often you've seen this, but where you have people who are genuinely experts and they actually have a much harder time of reaching back to the beginning stages and helping a beginner because they've gotten so far into the curse of knowledge where it's like they can't even remember what it's like. They can't remember the problems and the struggles and whatever. And so back when I started, I remember by far the most popular personal finance blog is called Get Rich Slowly by a guy named J.D. Roth, who started it very much as, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to share what I'm learning as I'm learning it. So, I mean, it's completely the opposite of being an expert, just starting his journey as it was and ended up being, you know, for that season, like the most popular personal finance blog that was getting the biggest media mentions and all the stuff. Because for so many years, I struggled with this. Like, I don't know if I'm qualified to talk about this. I don't know if blah, blah, blah. And yeah, that's just a defeating voice in your head that isn't ever going to help. Well, yeah, that's that's the number one block for people in this is like, who am I to do this? I'm not qualified. Like they never yeah. get past that. It's a good conversation to have. So one thought is there, right? A, who is anybody to do anything? You know, first of all, we're all just humans. And second of all, what I really try to think through myself to remind myself and what I teach people is the only way this is going to work is if you stop being narcissistic, because that's what you are when you're saying, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, who am I to do this? You're, you're literally thinking about yourself. That's all you're doing. <laughs> and here's the good news. like If you stop thinking about yourself, you, you'll just start thinking about other people. And you're like, well, who could I help? Who could I help? Yep. That's it. I mean, maybe you can't help experts because you just can't help them. You can only lead people where you've been. But where have you been? And is there someone like a little bit further behind you in the journey that you could help bring them a little bit further along? Which to your point about JD's blog, he was well, this is what I figured out today. And then that's going to help someone that's a little bit behind him. And as he learned more, his audience expanded to you know higher levels because he was further along and attracted more people. And there's a lot of freedom when you stop worrying about whether you're qualified and instead worry about, could you help somebody get them a yeah. little bit more transformation? Yeah, I love that. I love that. Getting your mind off yourself, getting on the other people. I don't have the, the quote here, but I just remember there's a quote I come back to, like when I'm having one of those days, because this is just part of the entrepreneurial journey where you're feeling really discouraged, feeling like, struggling, like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't bubble all those defeating thoughts. Like I always come back to just this idea of, all right, how can I just flip this and just serve somebody? Because as soon as I start serving, then my attention's off myself. And then all this depression and I'm dealing with just kind of goes away. And I've found that to be incredibly helpful every time I do that, like just start finding a way to serve and help someone else. And it's like, wow, is it that easy? You know? Yeah. And it grows the business too. Yeah, exactly. It helps people grow the business and helps to get me out of my funk. So, all right. I want to transition to a couple unique things you're talking about a little bit, but I want to talk about this thing you call the creativity switch. Can you explain this? Yeah. So I heard Jay Abraham talk about this 
Mm-hmm. I don't know where it was like, I was watching some seminar or lecture he did, and he talked about the creativity switch. And the idea that he was presenting was our brains are like efficiency machines, right? They just want to do what's most efficient. And so they can get into autopilot mode pretty easily. That's how advanced God made our brains. That's why like you can drive to the grocery store that you always go yeah. to or drive to work every day. And like, you're thinking about something else, not paying attention. And you arrived perfectly. Like, dude, I don't even remember going down that street. It's kind yeah. of freaky, right? <laughs> like, but your brain was like, I've got this because I've done this so many times. That's a great thing because it conserves energy and it makes you efficient in the brain, but it's not good for creativity because it shuts your brain down to like low power mode. And if you need to be creative, whether it's to create content, to write a book, to do anything, you need to like wake your brain up. And so what he was talking about is you have to get out of your rhythms, your normal rhythms, because when you look at something different, experience something different, your brain is like, okay, new stimuli. And it comes out of low power mode to like take in all the information. And then your brain is like on fire and running at full steam and you can actually maximize your brain. So he just recommends like random things. Like if you wake up and your routine is shower, coffee, the newspaper, working out, like then reverse it. And I wake up and like work out, newspaper, coffee, shower, or do, do everything out of order. Or if you drive to work the same way every day, drive a different way, just so you have to see different stuff, even if it's mm-hmm. slower. I took that years ago and applied it to making music. So if I always made records mm-hmm. the same way, like I always write a song the same way. I start on a guitar and then I think about lyrics or whatever. I did a whole record where I was like, I'm going to do everything backwards. I'm going to start with just drum loops and I'm going to mm-hmm. listen to drum loops and get inspired. And then I'm going to play keyboards and I'm going to do whatever. And then I decided to make the record like on my laptop in my living room instead of in my studio. So I'm sitting in a different environment. So all of that, it it led to new, new ideas. And that's why when it comes to business or anything you're trying to launch, if I need to spark it, I will go somewhere physically different, have different visual stimuli. And my brain is just in a different place. I, I love going to the beach. I love seeing the ocean, the expanse of it all, like makes my brain like open and like I, I think differently. So I get my best ideas when I'm outside or seeing something wide, wide open spaces or a really beautiful coffee shop. There's some great ones down here in Tampa where like it's just visually interesting and it wakes you up. And so sometimes we just got to get out of our rut and wake the brain up because then the ideas will flow. And that's really what the creativity yeah. switch is all about. That's so good. So Linda and I have been, we've taken a one month sabbatical each year for like the last 10 years or something. It's been part of our regular rhythm. One of the things I'm always telling people, because I'm talking to people a lot about this, is exactly that. And I never put words to it. I didn't really have a framework to kind of explain this. But I have found that we have to go somewhere else. If we try to take this one month sabbatical at home and get like sabbatical life like benefits, that it's not going to happen. Because our routine, it's like too entrenched. And so we just get in the routine of doing laundry, of whatever, fixing the things in the house, whatever the things are. But if we break out of that, we go to a different environment, doesn't matter where, it just needs to be different. Then we set a new routine, a new framework. So all these benefits that we're trying to get from praying and from reading and from planning the year and all these things, like it's so much better. It's like night and day. That's and awesome. this all makes sense. And you're all, you're connecting all these dots for me now. So this is great. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And I bet if you, if anyone listening, when you trace back some of the momentous pivotal moments or like exponential moments in your life or moments of clarity, there was probably you were somewhere different or in a different locale when you had the idea. Sometimes it's just like when you're in the shower, there's some kind of routine that's broken up is usually when those ideas come, they rarely come when you're in the same rut. Maybe it's a conversation with someone you never talked to and 
just the way they explained it. That's why like your wife can say the same thing to you. And then someone else you've never met yep. says it. And you're like, oh, it's a great <laughs> idea. And because it just was different. It came from someone different that's out of your routine. So your brain paid attention a little bit better that time. And yeah. you're upset. Like I've been saying that for years. It's so, yeah, it's so fun. Like it's just such a great idea. I'm, I think there's a lot of experimenting that can be done with that. And I'm like, my wheels are turning right now, trying to think other ways to apply that. So a lot of what we're talking about for business in 21st century, pretty much all businesses, online business to some extent at this point, and creating content is something that I don't know. I don't know if I can say most businesses need to do, but a whole lot of businesses need to create some kind of content. With that in mind, let's talk about your method for creating content. I remember hearing a podcast where you talked about this, and I just like you to explain like what's working well for you, what's your rhythm on doing that? Yeah. So when you start, you're kind of like trying to figure out the intersection between what do people say they need help with and maybe I should make content around that. And then also like, what do I have experience with and what are my, what are my soapbox issues? You know? And so I think yeah. that's always happening, but the more content you make, the better you get at making content because you're getting this feedback loop of what people are connecting with. So for example, even shifting from my first business in the music space to teaching online business, I was like, I know a lot about online business, but there are a lot of people teaching online business. And I, I don't know what's unique about what I bring to the table. And I, there's no way for me to know that until I put something out there in the world. And then I see when people go, wow, no one's said it like that before. And I'm like, really? And so for me, for example, I've learned that what people are interested in when I'm, when I'm talking at least about online business is they're very interested in how few hours I work and why that's important to me and how I, I really try to eliminate a lot of the tasks. And they're interested in why I'm not really doing anything on social media and I'm not on there. And so that's, I'm learning from feedback loop. That's interesting to them. Automation yeah. is interesting to them. So you learn what A, people resonate with, B, what their biggest questions are, which are always great content ideas. But then I think you have to create content you really love. You have to really talk about stuff you really believe in. And the problem is people swing to one side or the other. So they either say like, I'm just going to find the formula. What do people want? And they'll make the listicles and, and it's only predictable content that, that's very Googleable. And that's good because then people will find it. But it can be a little soul-sucking if you don't really like what you're talking about and you get burned out. The opposite is bad too, where like you're like, I'm just going to talk about what I care about and I'm passionate about. And nobody finds your blog or your site. Nobody cares. It's just really like a diary or it's like a journal. <laughs> you talk it to yourself. And so I think that if you yeah. can find that sweet spot of, you know, I've got content that's strategic. Like people are searching for this on YouTube. They need help with this. They always will. But then also, I really have to talk about this over here because this is something that's really important to me. And I want to attract people who will share my values and, and see it as important too. And so I just try to get a balance of that. And I split up my content between those types of things. And for me, I'm posting once a week, typically I do a video and it's a video podcast, so I can multi-purpose it right now. That's what I've been doing the last three years. And I just try to get in that rhythm of publishing at least every week. And there, when I started, I was publishing three times a week for years. And then I experimented with like, well, could I publish twice? To publish once with traffic drop and just those types of experiments because I'm a, I'm a weirdo and I want to see how what's the minimum amount of hours I can put into this and it still work because I'm just yeah. genuinely curious and so it's been an experiment there but whatever you're creating as long as you are creating content that people want and content that you really believe they need and you feel like you could talk about that stuff for the next ten years that kind of framework for me helps me know that I'm in the right spot and I can I can give it a fair shake that's great I love that okay so the book is called How to Get Paid for What You Know. People can find it anywhere. Anywhere. Yep. Amazon, That's great. Barnes and Noble, wherever. And then you also have, I saw this free workshop where people can go and they can just kind of go through. You do a little free workshop showing a lot of how to get started, correct? 
Yeah. So basically about 45 minutes of breaking down the four components of creating passive income online, like information products. So how to find your idea, find people to sell to, how to create products and how to automate the process. So it kind of walks you through that and some of the cheap and free tools that are out there. And uh, it's a great starting point. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, or you can just go to grahamcochran.com slash gift. We'll have a link for anybody who wants to check that out, but appreciate it, brothers. Great conversation. Love chatting. And yeah, hope we get to stay in touch. Yeah. Thanks, Bob, for having me on, man. Kudos to you and your book. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the Seed Time Money Podcast. And remember, money isn't the goal, but it's simply a tool to help you fulfill your purpose and your calling. And we'd love to help you achieve true financial freedom faster with our email newsletter. So if you want exclusive money tips and hope-filled encouragement in your inbox, head over to seedtime.com to get signed up. Knock, knock. Who's there? Leaf. Leaf who? Leave us a review on iTunes, please. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Know we are praying for you and we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>